So welcome everyone to this Intralingo Spotlight. I'm Lisa Carter, founder and creative director of Intralingo. And today I am so happy to have with me Savad Hussein, who is a translator. Welcome, Savad. Hi. <laughs> so good to have you. And you know, can you remind me where are you located? So I'm located in Cambridge in the UK. That's what I thought. Excellent. Good. So it's your evening there. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Lovely. So, Savad, we're going to talk in specifically today about your most recent translation from Arabic, um, mm -hmm. the novel Mama He Says Mice um, by Saud Al-Sanusi. And we're going to dive into that in a minute. But first, I'd really love to hear from you a little bit about your trajectory as a translator. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, um I started, I didn't actually start translating until 2009. Mm -hmm. um, that was the first time I translated a literary work. It was during, I was doing my master's in Arabic literature uh, at Soaz in London. And then at the same time, I was approached by a translation agency to translate a Palestinian work, which never saw the light of day, but it was my first <laughs> sort of engagement with literature. And the book itself, like I won't mention the name, but it wasn't that good anyway. So I'm actually glad that it, you know, it didn't go any further. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that was my first actual book length um, project. And after that, I didn't, I had originally thought, oh, this is so easy, like I could make this into a career. But then I didn't get my next book contract for I would say another four years or so. Um, so in the meantime, I had just been doing, uh, I was an, I'm an Arabic teacher by like profession. So while I was teaching, I was also doing literary translation on the side for journals. Um, I did a lot of literary festival sort of um, publications for Arab lit. So I'd go to, I was living in Dubai at the time. So I'd go to like the Abu Dhabi book fair and do interviews with authors. Um, and aside from that, I think, yeah, I was doing mostly just a lot of reviews, trying to gain traction as someone who knows the Arabic literary scene so that publishers were taking seriously. Um, and then eventually, finally, the first um, book that I did, I actually ended up doing it for free um, just because I was finding it difficult. Like I got royalties, but to get your foot in the door, unfortunately, so I was doing so many samples for, you know, big name publishers. But the issue was that they said, well, you've never done a full length work with like a publisher that we know. So they would like the book that I would pitch, but then inevitably give it to another translator which is very just, you know, disheartening. <laughs> so then finally I started my, my first, actually a uh, book that got published was with, was with a press in Hong Kong called Signal Aid Press. It was a Jordanian sci-fi novel. Um, and after that, I just got like a whole bunch of offers coming in. So really in the past, I would say three years, I've gotten so much more work than, you know, the first part of my career. So um, I know it's really difficult you're kind of in this sort of limbo where you know you don't have the experience for publishers to take a chance on you but then nobody's willing to take a chance on you unless you've done a book so I think unfortunately a lot of translators are in a similar situation where your first work is either unpaid or it has to be funded by a grant but there's not a lot of grants for Arabic um yeah you're trajectory it sounds so similar to so many of us who are literary translators 
Mm. It's not an easy um, uh, profession to get into, but uh, it's wonderful that now projects are coming to you. Yes. Yeah, it's great. Excellent. Very good. So, you know, um, for those of us, um, you know, in who aren't familiar with um, Kuwaiti literature in particular, so, um, you know, I know that um, Saud al-Sanusi is very well known. Uh, he won the 2013 Arabic um, Prize in Fiction. He's extremely well known in his own country, but for those of us who are unfamiliar with him and his work, can you tell us a little bit more? Yes, yeah. So, uh, Saud has a really big following, which um, originally started, as you had mentioned, with uh, him winning the International Prize for Arabic Fiction with his book, Saq uh, al-Bamboo, The Bamboo Stock. Um, but prior to that, within Kuwait, he had already won a sort of national award for his first novel, um, which I think is called The Prison of Mirrors. Um, He's quite an active writer, not just um, like with his pen, but also he gives a lot of sort of interviews and he is a journalist as well. So he writes articles in the daily newspaper. So he's very much connected um, to what is happening in the country. And, and right now he's working um, on actually a piece of um, theater uh, mm. with the, I think it's uh, Sheikh Al-Jabr uh, sort of, um, like a theater company or a cultural center. Um, and so he also just released a new book, which has been garnering a lot of attention from readers and critics, which is called, um, in English, it's like Saleha's Camel. So which each, each work that he does, he seems to sort of stretch himself further. Mm. So this book is, it's a novella, it's really short. It's the first time also he's written entirely from a female perspective. Mm. Um, and in an interview was really interesting. He said he gave the manuscript to like another favorite author, Kuwaiti author of mine, Bethina Isa, to like read his work because he found it difficult at certain parts to talk about, for example, falling in love with a man mm -hmm. um, because the love story is like a key part of this novella. And so she was giving him sort of feedback like, oh, women don't talk about their own bodies this way or things like that. Um, interesting. Yeah, but uh, what's really interesting about the novella itself is that his, it's set in like 1900s um, in, in the Gulf in the desert and it's a Bedouin love story, but the language itself is quite sort of archaic and um, readers have said that it takes a while to get into it, but once you do, um, you really, you know, just start running with the story. Mm -hmm. So he never has, it's really different to Mama Hissa's Mice, for example, which is so much more like a his current historical fiction novel and then also like speculative fiction launching us, you know, into the future. So with, with each of his novels, he's really exploring a different part, I find, of his sort of tool, like set as a writer, as well as like, you know, the content. Um, mm. So yeah, since Mama Hiss Says Mice, I mean, he has released two novels and this was his, yeah, second one since then. Right, yeah. Publishing in translation takes a long time, so. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he originally wrote Mama Hiss Says Mice in 2015. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. And the last that I had read um, in English, you know, the, the media that I was able to find, uh, Mama Hiss's Mice was, had been banned and burned in Kuwait. Yes. Is that still the status there? Um, so it's no longer the status. Yes, you're completely right, which was, you know, extremely shocking that when it was first released, it was only in bookstores for maybe three days before it was sort of wrenched from the shelves and the Ministry of Information, 
you know, made no qualms about sharing that they actually burned his books um, because it was seen to be inciting national sort of, uh, you know, uh, disunity and dissension and um, all that, when in fact it's doing the complete opposite. Um, but he was, he had given this interview, I remember shortly afterwards, he was obviously very emotional that he had written the book, you know, specifically with the Kuwaiti people in mind and the one sort of readership he wanted to reach um, he wasn't able to, but obviously people were able to get copies, you know, pirated, whether it's, um, you know, online or ordering from different countries, etc. But what's really interesting is, so it was banned for about three years. And then I wrote the date down here. So in April 2018, mm -hmm. they revoked the ban. Okay. Um, and they reinstated sort of the books in the bookshops. Um, and actually even, it, it was quite odd, even gave him some sort of, um, praise for the book that he had written it was a complete sort of you know 180 where, or, or 360 sorry no 180 sorry yeah where it was <laughs> like no we hate this book but actually now we're going to just you know thank you for writing such an important you know piece of literature for our people so it was just quite um i just found it so odd uh but unfortunately you know kuwait does have a lot of um censorship of novels currently both translated from English and those written you know originally in Arabic as well to the point where like I think last year there was this like hashtag in Arabic which was like you know uh, banned books in Kuwait and everyone would take a picture of the banned books that they had because they had just bought it from other places you know um, kind of just sort of poking fun at the whole point that we've banned it but if anything it's going to make us want to read these books even more right and you know we're going to go out of our way to get them so yeah, that, I, I had seen that hashtag on Twitter. That was very interesting. I, I couldn't read the titles, but there were stacks of books. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is very odd that that um, decision was reversed, but that's wonderful. I'm so glad his book is available again, where yeah. it needs to be read and should be read. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. So exciting. Um, as you said, you know, um, his, the book is very complex in terms of style, in terms of, of the depth of the content that, that he goes into. Uh, it's an incredible book, absolutely. Um, you, you mentioned a little bit of dystopian. It's sort of a coming of age story. It's um, as well, I would classify it as a war story, as historical fiction. It's, it's all of these things. So how do you introduce the book when you talk about it? <laughs> um, I think each time as I'm kind of focusing on a different aspect of it, um, maybe just depending on how I'm feeling that day, um, because it's really such a mashup of so much, as you said, it's like historical fiction, then you've got this like, you know, dystopian sort of vision. Um, but what's really interesting is when he had written it, the, the future sections are actually meant to be taking place in 2020, which is just next year. Mm -hmm. um, so, but in English, because we've just released it, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of odd because it's only just next year, but when he wrote it in Arabic, there was at least five years that, you know, this is sort of um, the path that we're on. But mm -hmm. yes, definitely, definitely very much like a war story coming of age. I love like the point of view of the main character who's a youth and, you know, telling his perspective of, um, you know, um, Iraq invading Kuwait from a child's point of view, um, as well as, um, 
it's also sort of, um, I want to say like a sort of auto fiction almost, um, because the book is inspired and he has said in many an interview in Arabic, it's inspired by his own memories and a lot of his uh, uncles, you know, were involved in the, the, the conflict. And so he would hear these stories growing up um, in his house. And so I think it's, it's sort of a little bit of everything. Yeah, that's interesting. I was wondering if, you know, if it was inspired by his own childhood. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, very much so, because he's quite young. So I think he was born in 1981. And so um, it would have been, you know, he, he's lived through uh, of what he's talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So yes, the main character is is uh, Katkut and he's a young boy. Um, it's about his growing up with his two best friends. Um, and the novel jumps between their past growing up and this what in English is just listed as present day, but that's great to know it was <laughs> supposed to be 2020. Um, uh, but it's not, you know, real because this was written in 2015. But there is a, um, all kinds of sectarian violence. Basically, the country is in war yet again, but, but okay. civil war, domestic war. Yeah. Um, so that's where the dystopian sort of aspect comes from. Hmm. Um, you're going to read a little section for us. Would you like to introduce that and then go ahead? Yes, definitely. So, I mean, while it does really focus on a lot of, of the political... Um, you know, events and the cultural richness of Kuwait. At the same time, there's um, a lot of, you know, focus on the personal relationships mm -hmm. that Kut has specifically with, uh, you know, um, his grandmother. Well, actually, it's his friend's grandmother, Mama Hissa. Um, and I've chosen this section, which was one of my favorites uh, to translate, which is when, so his mother and father have agreed to leave Kut in the care of Mama Hissa, and she makes him sleep on a mattress in her room, you know, just to keep an eye on him. And these are like one of the scenes from their nighttime conversations where during the day she, she comes across as very, you know, she'll make a joke here or there, but she's strict. Um, but at nighttime, he gets to see a completely different side of her and it's much more vulnerable and uh, sensitive. So yeah, I'm just going to read uh, that section. Great. Great, okay. Oh, right. And also just, oh, no, I guess you'll be up. It's, I, I was going to say that in this section, like, it switches the narrative. So usually he, he talks as I, but in the second part of the book, it becomes second person. So it's you. Yeah. <laughs> you turned off the light. You groped your way through the dark. Every night, her utter devotion silenced you. You listened to her whispers as she spoke to God, intoning praises to him before sleeping. Only with her did you feel that God was close, as if he was soaring up high in the sky above. The old woman would read verses for protection. She'd then blow into her hands. She would mumble some words, but you could only make out the ones with Subhan, praise be to, O God of the seven skies. God, I ask you, you who fed us, gave us drink and gave us enough. There is nothing before you. Bi'ismuka, O God, in your name, I entrust myself to you. So she hadn't taken out her dentures yet. As soon as her praises to God petered out, you'd start with your questions. 
She would then begin telling the stories you loved, the of her prayers replaced by different hissing sounds. She answered your every question, telling you all kinds of stories, but not the one about the four mice that she had promised. She always postponed it to the next night. She spoke about whatever she wanted to speak about. You understood some of what she said. There was a lot you didn't know. She would speak, propelled by the need to speak, with your questions or without them. At nighttime, Mama Hissa became something else entirely. In these nightly story sessions, you learned what you didn't before, such as why Mama Hissa came down hard on Saleh. It was because he himself was so strict with Fazia. Saleh was in charge at, and only at, home, a man lording his misfortune over his sick fatherless sister. Why was Fazia ill? It was a trial from God. Why did God put her to, to test? He was testing her. Why was he testing her? Because he loved her. Doesn't God love me? I'm healthy and don't have any sicknesses. Shut up and ask God for forgiveness. God forgive me. May he forgive you, my boy. If she passed the test, would God forgive her? The real test is with your mother, Miss Principal, you fool. When has God ever given her a test? I've never seen a jahil like you who asks so many questions. I'm not a child. When did God try her? When her father died in those coffee shop bombings five years ago, Katkut. How she cried, but even when faced with her crying, I wasn't able to cry. I didn't cry for Saleh's father, but I cried for Fazia. Daddy's girl is what he used to call her. God rest his soul. I cried for her when we had to take her to the hospital completely in pieces. She'd fainted. Saleh, who I wanted to be a man in his father's absence, became a child. Aisha, since the beginning, was Aisha. I didn't detect any sadness in her at Saleh's dad's departure. Maybe she still considers him alive in those photos that she keeps, silly woman. The old lady fell silent. Mama Hissa, did you fall asleep? Where would sleep come from, my son? God, please heal her and strengthen her. She spoke to you about her love for Fazia, daddy's girl, the apple of her eye, and how God had granted her life in her womb after the death of nine boys between Saleh's birth and that of his sister. She started repeating what her daughter's doctor had said after losing Saleh's dad, a sudden high spike in blood sugar, a symptom of a psychological crisis. The doctor didn't disguise his concern about the possibility of the momentary crisis becoming a lasting sickness due to Fazia's genetic predisposition, her neglect of treatment, and a lax approach to eating what was off limits. Then what happened, Mama Hissa? It wasn't a matter of two days, as the doctor had said. Other than illness, what else have I passed on to my daughter? She used to remind me when to take my medication. Now we remind each other. Does Am Saleh hate Fazia? Saleh hates his weakness, poor man. He feels helpless, but he loves his sister and worries about her. In spite of what he did to her yesterday, Fazia didn't challenge him. She understands that he loves her and what he did was only out of worry for her. You were in the courtyard when he came down to the living room, the electric razor in hand, crying like a jahil, his mother's dearest soul. I'll stop there. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. It's such um, it's such insight because, as you say, um, Katkut is uh, the neighbor's 
he's living with the neighbors. Mm -hmm. Mama Hissa is, is one thing outside of her bedroom during the day. Um, but there is such tenderness between them. Yes. And uh, it, she is very much his grandmother. Yes, yeah. And she's kind of just sharing with him all of her sort of worries about her own son, who's, you know, called Saleh, who's really an authoritarian sort of figure in Kadkut's life um, here. And also her concern for her own daughter, Fazia, who Kadkut has a bit of a crush on. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I just thought, I mean, it goes on for much longer, but it was just uh, one of my favorite passages to translate, especially with all like the sibilant sounds, because yes. in Arabic, all those words start with the letter seen, which is the S, but in okay. English, it's not in the beginning. So I tried to choose words where it's in the, like either in the middle or the end, just to sort of mimic the sounds. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah, it's always mm -hmm. such an insight to know what you did there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the book was, I, I can only imagine, was incredibly complex to translate, as you say, um, you know, the stylistically, so it is first person, and then it becomes second person. Um, there is so much cultural, um, historical detail and richness, yeah. um, all of which um, is evident in the book. And for someone like me who is not familiar with the details of the culture and the history, um, it's perfectly readable and we learn a lot. Um, and yet I always had this sense that there was so much just beneath that I wish I could have deciphered a little better. Mm -mm -mm. And, I, you know, I had read that, that Saud had commented that, you know, this book is about the Kuwaiti culture and the Kuwaiti people, and he felt a great responsibility uh, in, in putting this out there and to have people understand it. So I'd love to hear from your point of view um, how you felt, what you did, how you tried to illuminate or not things for us? So uh, I'm really glad to hear that it was still readable, um, mm. just because there is a lot that I'm, we're expecting of the reader, uh, you know, when they're taking on a book like this. Yeah. Um, I was trying to go with um, the sort of, you know, analogy that when you visit a foreign country, um, and you don't speak the language, you're still able to make out things from, you know, physical cues or, um, you know, visual similarities between things, but you're a little bit disoriented. You know, when you're in a foreign country, things don't, people don't always spell out things for you. Um, so to be honest, there was, I mean, in terms of deciding how much you know, sort of support to give the reader. There was a little bit of tension between myself and the editors at Amazon Crossing because I wanted to give like a little bit less and they wanted to give more. Okay. Um, and so in the end, we kind of came to this, you know, agreement. Um, but I, to be honest, would have taken away even more of sort of the, the support. But actually now having heard people's responses to it, I guess I'm glad that we went with the approach that we did um, where, you know, there is sort of, I mean, I'm, different ways as you know to do is like stealth gloss where you would explain something from in a sentence. Um, but a lot, you know, a lot of the time, there was also a discussion about possibly putting footnotes and I'm really against footnotes. So 
you know, it was like, no. Um, I'm so glad you didn't put footnotes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it changes the whole, the tenor of the book. Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. But to be honest, when I found out I was doing the book, um, it was even before I had actually started, I factored in this sort of time because even though I'm a Middle Eastern studies major, we never focused that much on the Gulf. Um, when I studied, it was more so the Levant or Egypt. Um, and so even if it was the Gulf, maybe like a little bit of Omani history, but Kuwait was never considered a country that, unfortunately, at that time when I was like, you know, studying like 2004, you know, 2005, a country that deserved focus in a Middle Eastern mm -hmm. studies program. Um, so what I did is luckily because, you know, um, we have the great Cambridge University Library here. I went out and checked out all these books um, on Kuwaiti history mm. and culture and just spent a whole month reading um, different books. And I also started watching like Kuwaiti um, soap operas because there's a lot of uh, Kuwaiti dialect in the book, which okay. I'm not familiar with. Um, so it was a sort of crash course in just, you know, immersing myself in all aspects of the country because I haven't been to Kuwait myself. Um, and I am much more familiar with like uh, Jordan and Palestine and Lebanon and their history and language. And that's the um, dialect that I speak when I speak Arabic. Um, so yeah, I felt a huge sort of onus on me because even like Buthayna Al-Aisa, who I've mentioned previously, who's another sort of um, leading author in Kuwait, had, has this famous quote that, you know, if something happened to Kuwait where like the entire population or country was wiped off the map this is the one book that should remain that like you know people should you know, cling to and I was like oh my god um just because she thinks it you know which it does it gives the narrative of its history and its people and such richness and and detail and with such um sentiment you know uh so yeah, I think uh, there was a lot of preparation on, on, on my behalf. And then I'm also very thankful to Saud, who was very uh, patient with all of my questions. Um, I definitely asked a lot of questions for things that I, you know, couldn't find online, mm. um, uh, you know, because they were during a certain time period, which, you, you know, people d didn't really research. Um, also, I was lucky to have uh, Mona Karim, who is a Kuwaiti poet and also professor working in the U.S., um, and she did the edits for the book. So she also checked to see like, you know, if I had maybe sh strayed too far or if there was something I had misunderstood. Um, you know, there's a lot of, as you had said, um, sort of uh, suggestions, mm -hmm. which um, even a lot of Arab readers I know. So, you know, I have a lot of uh, like Arab friends, even when they read the book, they're like, there was a lot of things they even felt that they were missing because the book is so uh, Kuwait sort of focused. But what I realized at the end is that I can't sort of throw in everything in the kitchen sink at the reader. Like there's going to be things that we have to leave out or that, um, you know, won't come across uh, to the same sort of, uh, with the same sort of immediacy as it does maybe to a Kuwaiti reader. Um, so I kind of just tried to focus on the key things that you know, I thought uh, would be really important for the reader to sort of come along for the ride. Mm. And that if there was things to be further delved into, then, you know, um, people could sort of uh, Google it. Like, so for example, you know, they have the, in, in um, the beginning of each of the, so he's divided the book into different mice and um, he uses poetry from really uh, well-known poets 
um, in the beginning of each of those sections. So it's not just the excerpt of poetry itself, but if you know that poet's work, then you kind of have a sort of a glimmer of an understanding of what this section is going to be like. Is there going to be a lot of sort of loss in it, or is there going to be more mm. so like hope or something? But in the English, that obviously doesn't come across because right. it's just like four lines of poetry. But um, yeah, so I, it, there's just like things like that, unfortunately, which, um, you know, couldn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Still, that's that's so fascinating, and you give us such a, a great picture, you know, for for those who are watching who who aren't translators or aren't really familiar with a translator's work, but just the the depth and the the dedication and the detail that translators have to go into in order to to accurately and faithfully portray what an author was attempting to do. So the mm -hmm. fact that you've spent a month reading and researching and uh you know and there certainly are soap operas in in the book as well so understanding that whole side it's uh and then having a you know a kuwaiti poet to to look at it as well from that standpoint um who speaks english that's it really gives us a sense of of what went into this Book. Yes. <laughs> incredible yeah and you know you were also saying as well that um the the whole aspect of you know leaving certain things to the reader i think that you know certainly while those in kuwait may have got more references as you say anyone reading the book in arabic who wasn't from kuwait has to interpret and read certain things into it and therefore the same is true in English yeah. um, and I would argue that that is the same of of any book an author can put so much into it but it's up to the reader what their world and life experience has been what they're going to take out of it mm, so it seems very reflective Yes, yeah, because I was really concerned in the beginning about, oh, well, I'm not explaining this and this is important. And, but, you know, I think once I had spoken to some friends, as you just said, and realized, well, actually, like they're Arab and they're not getting everything. Mm -hmm. So that's actually, then it's, it's, it's okay. Like if in English, it's just going to be the same thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And personally, I like it when, when an author and a translator treat me as intelligent and yes, even, yeah. even if I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Even if I, I felt, you know, definitely, but uh, I think one of the, the things about this, this particular book, Mama Hisa's Mice, is that it leaves me wanting to know more. It did make me realize that um, Kuwait was a gap in my understanding of the world, without a doubt. Mine. I mean, you know, as I said, which was really shocking for me, because that's my area of expertise, is mm -hmm. the Arab world. Yeah. But it just shows that it's really a country that's been overlooked in terms of its literary production, but also its historical significance in the region. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so interesting and therefore so important that this book has come out in English. Mm. Yeah, wonderful. So what is it that, um, Savad, that you would like readers to take away from this book? Uh... Yeah, I, I think this is uh, this is important. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like as you've said, I think obviously each reader will take away something different. But I think what I want them to realize is that 
the main reason why I do um, translate literature from the Arab world is to sort of make connections and to break down stereotypes. And I think um, so often the focus is put on like us versus them in the sense of like Muslims versus, you know, non-Muslims, especially with this whole sort of climate of terrorism and, yes. you know, ISIS and all of that. And I think what I wanted people to realize is when you're reading the book is that there's so much complexity within the country itself where you have even, you know, Muslim against Muslim, right? You know, there's that really famous line in the book when his mother's like, you're Muslim and that's it. Like, shouldn't that be enough? Like, why do you need to identify yourself as Sunni or Shia or, you know, um, etc. So I think what I just want people to take away is that things are a lot more layered than you think. It's, it's not, you know, um, it's not so clear cut as like, you know, or, or superficial as the media makes it seem. Um, and also, which is what, you know, I took away from this book is that Kuwait is not a country to be overlooked. Um, you know, since I've done this book, you know, since as in when I was translating it, I started reading so much more Kuwaiti literature than I myself had done before. And there's been other translations into English of Kuwaiti literature as well, just in the past two years. Um, you know, since uh, Saud did win the IPAP, I think more publishers were interested in what else is coming out of Kuwait. Um, so yeah, I guess I would just uh, want people to take that away that, you know, there's a lot more under the surface than what it looks mm. like. Mm. Yeah, that's fantastic. There absolutely is. And uh, I couldn't agree more that the whole purpose of, you know, of literary translation is to make those connections. Uh, and that is a hugely important job. So wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much for this book. Congratulations to you and to Saud Al-Sanusi. It is, uh, it's a, I think, a really important work. Um, I certainly enjoyed it. Uh, I was challenged by it, but oh, I like that. <laughs> I think it is important to be challenged by the things that we read and to realize the gaps in our own knowledge and understanding of the world and and to incite that desire to learn and know more. So thank you so much. No, it was really great to hear. Um, That's think, good. Yeah, as we were saying, it's quite polarizing. I think as a work, I think some people, as you've just said, would appreciate kind of being thrown into the deep end and others would be like, no, no, it's too much. And yeah. so, you know, I, I get that. It's not everybody will like it, but mm -hmm. I appreciate the, you know, I thank you for taking the time to read it. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. And, and I absolutely will, will keep my eye open for more Kuwaiti literature and certainly for whatever you're translating next. Yeah. Thank yeah. Thanks so much. Great. It has been lovely to talk to you, Savad. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Yes, it's really been a pleasure speaking with you. Great. So for everyone watching or listening, uh, we'll be sure to include, of course, Savad's whole bio, uh, information about the book, where she can be found online, um, everything so that you too can get a copy of uh, Mama Hissa's Mice and read it. Um, if you enjoyed this spotlight, please do subscribe to the U Intralingo YouTube channel, ring the bell to get further updates, uh, and follow us on Facebook or Twitter or wherever, and we will continue to bring you um, world literature. Mm -hmm.